All right, here we go. Good morning, everyone. Happy Friday. It's been quite an uh, eventful Friday. We're starting here just a couple minutes late, but got some uh, technical things set up so that you guys have a fluid uh, webinar this morning. I just want to welcome you guys to the uh, Market Pulse podcast. So welcome. We are going to cover a lot of things that have happened in the last week. And before we get started, and as always, to keep my attorneys happy, we are going to get our risk disclosure going and get this party on the road. So let's go ahead and jump into that. Just give me one sec and we will get this up. Thanks for being here, guys. Yep, thank you. Thank you. All right, so let's get this started. Yeah. All right, guys. So let's jump into this. We've got a lot to cover, and it's been quite an eventful week, and we're going to do some recaps uh, going into the new year, uh, kind of highlighting some of the data that just came in from last year that has really shocked the market. We've seen higher highs in the stock market. We've seen uh, consumer sentiment at all-time highs. I've got lots to report on with this that will help set you up in your trading. And we've got some probably bumps uh, along the road. So we've got some things that are going to happen into 2024 that may create some bumps, uh, but you'll get a good idea of my sentiment going into this. But before we get started in that, uh, I'd like to start with one of my favorite segments in this pod, and that is our psychology of trading uh, section, where we really dive into the meat and potatoes or the me- the mechanic the mechanical side of trading, which is you and your brain and your finger on the mouse making those trades, uh, because it's just not as simple as buying a tool and expecting results. There's so much psychology. Uh, inside of your trading. And so I, I want to go into that, and I've got some a really great training that's going to help gear you towards having better results as you kind of put the scalpel in your psyche uh, under the microscope. And uh, before we do that, I like, I'm, I'm probably going to do this a couple more times where we, we hear from Randy, uh, but I want to set you guys up around why this is so important from one of the greatest trading psychologists uh, of our time. So we're going to hear from Randy, and then I'm going to take over and do this training. So let's hear from him, and we'll jump right in. Well, there's a wonderful thing about trading is that most of us spend a lifetime avoiding our psychological demons. In trading, they're going to stalk you. They're going to find you. And trading offers the incredible environment of getting in tune with yourself, developing yourself psychologically so that you're a better human being in a lot of domains, including trading. But you have to understand, trading is going to provide a platform that's going to give you a scalpel to look at your psyche, and you're going to have to reorganize it to be a really good trader. All right. So 
I think uh, the point of this is that there's more to trading than a tool. If you got into trading and you bought some robot or you're into some tool or you're using some charts or you read some book on some strategy, there's a lot more to it than just that. There is a like there's a tool you being at the middle of it that has everything to do with your results. And there's actually a great book that I would recommend called Turtle Trader that really highlights the kind of this conundrum between the psyche and the results in trading where the, you, you have to read the book, but it was a bet that was made by a successful trader that one of his friends said, I bet you can't get 10 people to rep ever average day Americans that you can't get 10 of those people to replicate your strategy and the results. And the book is just a fascinating unraveling of the psyche and how much we like to break rules and how much our psychology gets in the, the way of results and how some people with the same strategy got results where others didn't with the same strategy. And so the only variable, the only, the conclusion that draws to the only variable is it's you. And when I got into trading originally back in 2008, uh, I started realizing that there was something different when I started having losses or I started not getting the results that I quite wanted, but I saw these other people that were getting it. I started seeing that there was some, ma there was something magical going on that I didn't quite understand. There was some missing piece. And the more I dove into the psyche side of it, the more I started seeing the results. So today we're going to do a training, a really quick training on language. And this is actually one of my favorite trainings that I've done with probably thousands of different traders, uh, business executives that I coach because it doesn't just deal with your psyche in trading. It deals with your psyche uh, as a whole, meaning like every aspect of your life is highly impacted by your language. And so we're going to talk about this and it's, it's going to change how you think uh, about language. So let's, let's go in. So language is part of our everyday lives and it's really quite a miracle. And let me share what I mean by that. When you look at language, and I just got back from Mexico, but when you look at language, like there's a lot of power and creation that comes from it. Like you can't have creation, you can't make things outside of language. And it's really what sets us apart from the rest of the animal kingdom. Language comes in all different languages. Like I went to uh, Mexico and they're speaking Spanish and certain words mean certain things and they're similar uh, in most cases. They have dialects. So even in the US, we have like 50 probably plus dialects where you go to like uh, Louisiana and it's like, are we still speaking English, right? It's like just a totally different dialect of the English language. Uh, it reflects inner attitudes. So language reflects an inner attitude and belief, and it projects either power or force. And that's a really important thing to understand that language projects kind of this future. It projects what you attract and what you don't. Uh, it's the means to all creation, as we talked about, and it it is and always will be in the beginning. Like there's this really fascinating thing, uh, especially for my Christian friends out there, uh, if you go back to Genesis, it was the first thing was the word. It was the first thing created. Now, whether that was metaphorical 
or actually something that was happening, it's part of the creation process. So before anything or our worlds or a worldview maybe got created, there was the word created first. Like language creates all of it. It creates the stories, the context, the way that we view the world. And there are billions of them out there in everyone's head, different worldviews, and it's all created by language. So I want you to see this, and I'm going to help you shape like how language is shaping your life, how it may even be shaping your trading results. So language is defined by uh, as the method of human communication, either spoken or written, consisting of the use of words in a structured and conventional way. It is not something that the animals uh, or other life forces use to communicate, although we're hearing like orcas and dolphins, maybe they have some other way of communicating. But it, it's, not under, it's not highly understood by us yet. And as far as we know, we're, we are the most advanced species that has like this communication thing called language. Uh, it's also not the only way humans communicate, right? There are other forms of communication outside of language, like body language uh, and, and certain uh, vibrations and like attitudes that we project. So your choice of words can make the difference between someone accepting and denying your message, Mahatma Gandhi said. And you can have a very beautiful thing to say, but say it the, with the wrong words and it's gone. Like the way we structure words and language also has massive impact, even if the order in which is different. And so there's something about language that really drives results. It causes inspiration. It causes people to be drawn towards or pushed away. And that's what I call the power or the force inside of language. Now, forceful language uh, is everywhere. And I, I love this quote. It is not easy to find happiness in ourselves. It is not possible to find it elsewhere. So if you're looking for change, if you're looking for different results in your life, if you're looking for how money starts showing up to you or not, you got to get that this thing doesn't exist outside of you. It's here. And so one of the first places we should look at in changing who we are, like getting the scalpel out in our psyche, is to examine our language that we're using because it is a strong indicator of where we are, like where we're seeing the world. And I can tell you, I coach top executives. By the way, I I like to bring on about 10 clients a year at $100,000 a year for executive coaching. And one of the first things I look at and I listen to is their language because their language tells me where they're at the type of words they use. And let me give you some uh, key ones that show up all the time that are like red flags, like indicator. And you want to hear this in your trading. You want to hear this when it comes to money. Do you ever use the word I have to, or I must, or I need to, or the word but, or I can't, or it's hard, or I don't know. Now, all of us use these words, uh, I actually use these words as indicators where if I hear it now or I hear myself say it or I have a thought where I say I have to or I must, I need to, I, but I can't, hard, I don't know, I'll actually use it as an indicator and I'll like pull it back and I'll say, what's a word or something, a way that I could say this differently that would be an upgrade that would actually attract the things that I want. And you're going to hear how these words actually push away the things they want. They're They're changing your results. They're there's no way it doesn't impact your trading results because it's coming from a place of force 
where force your power and your cubes to attract the things you want is like very small where when you start using powerful language it's like an abundance it just starts flowing to you and it's really the difference between the haves and the have-nots all right so language in you the level of influence you have and the language you use is directly correlated this is influence in your financial situation your relationships anything in any area of your life it's almost like the size of the rock you throw into a lake. The bigger the rock, the bigger the splash. And while language is really the same thing, the more upgraded your language is, the larger your splash. Now, this doesn't mean, a lot of people misinterpret this, and they think, well, I just need to have a, a higher vocabulary. No, that's actually not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that you need more power. You get to have, see how I just grabbed that, that need word? You get to have more power in your language. And that's the difference. You don't need to have a larger vocabulary. It's the power of the words that you use. You could have a very simple vocabulary and it's just really powerful. And the results are going to be enormous. You don't need to look smarter. Like that's not going to be the cure here. So I want to give you some examples. And we're going to do one that you can run through your life. And I want, if you're struggling with trading or some investment aspect or financial aspect of your life, I want you to use that as an example going into this, okay? So if I were to say I would do more marketing but I just don't have the money. Like maybe you own a business and I deal with this one all the time with executives. It's like, well, I would do more marketing, but I just don't have more money. This is limiting language, just saying that. And it might occur to you as true, but it's actually not. It will actually damn the progress of your marketing talking like this. Do you see this? The size of your language impacts uh, how much impact in terms of marketing you're gonna have, right? It's like that rock. It's very small in this language. If there were a reality upgrade, like a truth upgrade, if we could hear in our context, the way we say it, something truer, you'll actually find more freedom and more creativity to attract the thing that you want. Watch this. So here's an example. Find a belief. Maybe you're struggling in trading. I'd, I'd make more money if I had more money in trading, or it takes more money to make more money in trading, or say something where you have an excuse or a but. It's like, I would have this house, but I'm not making enough money. I would uh, make $5,000 a month in trading, but I need more time. Just whatever it is. Find one that feels right for you. I'll do an example, uh, but follow along. Find a belief that you have that you are sure is tied to some other thing. It's like one is tied to the other. And I want you to see how as humans, we live in these such simple contexts that it actually traps us when reality is just so abundant and so... Uh, it's so large and profound. It's actually sometimes hard to understand how big it is, the world of possibilities. And structure your sentence like this. I would do blank, but blank. Maybe get a piece of pen, uh, a, a piece of paper and a pen to like write this down. Uh, do it on your phone or you could do it uh, just verbally with me. I would do blank, but blank. What is it? I would do more marketing. I would do more trading. I would uh, make more money in trading, but like whatever it is, or I would have more, what more money, more time, more energy, but fill in the blank, just do one. And I want you to follow along with this. So find an example, write it down. And in a minute, I'm going to show you how to coach others around this. Uh, we may actually not do that in this. I've got a second half of this. We don't have time for, but I'm going to, at a minimum, show you how to get more power around the thing for you. And then I'm going to have you read your statement and repeat it. So read your statement really quick. 
Make sure it follows one of these two, I would blank, but blank, or I would have more, blank, but blank. Make sure it follows that. And what access to having what you want actually exists in this statement? I want you just to consider that. What access to having what you want exists in this language? Like your words are actually limiting you getting the thing. Your words. I know it sounds crazy, but just follow along here. It probably occurs like what you're saying is a fact, doesn't it? I remember doing this for the first time. This was like a decade ago. And I was like, no, it. I was with a coach. I was like, no, this is true. I would do this, but I don't. And he's like, just give me a second. So it might, it might occur to you like true, but just be open to the possibility that there's something else out there. There's another option or maybe a lot of other options. Okay, so here it is. Here's the example. So what word, I want you to hear this because the word, there's one word that's an indicator in this statement that we built that is a lie. It's something we wrote down that we thought was a fact tied to the second. Where is the word that created the lie in our statement? And you might not be able to see it because you still think it's true. But the word is but. When we use but in the middle of two ideas, I just want you to think about this and consider this for every future construct of two ideas you put together. Anytime we hold one truth, one idea, and we tie it to another with the word but, we are telling a lie. And that's a lot to chew on. That may be the greatest thing you take away from this training today, especially when it comes to money, especially when it comes to having more money or attracting more. It actually disconnects you from the truth. It's like a back door. It's like it gives you this excuse to not have to look for any more options. Now, I want you to rewrite your statement. And instead of using the word but, this is just a one word change. I want you to replace it with and. Take that statement Take that truth that you had, like I would have more money, but, and replace it with and, and watch how it changes how you relate to that idea. I would do more marketing and I just don't have the money. You hear how different it is? I would do more marketing, but I just don't have the money. You hear the difference? When we replace the word but with and, it creates possibilities. What's possible when the word is and? It's like, oh, now I relate to them separate. It's like one is I would do more marketing and two is I don't have enough money. Two separate different issues, two separate different standing things. But see how when we take the one, we use the word but, it ties it to another. So let me just give you some examples. If I were to wanting to solve this problem, and I just did this example, and I replaced it with and, I would go, oh, I need to do more marketing. Maybe it has nothing to do with money. Ever heard of guerrilla marketing? Ever heard of like referral businesses? There are entire like markets out there built on things and ways to grow your business without a dime going into it. But it changes things. And then you have this other thing called, and I don't have money. It's like, okay, how are you relating to that? Like money in your bank account? Maybe you start seeing like, oh, right, I don't have the money, but maybe I could go raise money. Maybe I could go borrow money. Maybe I could start a fund. It just, it opens up all of these possibilities that really the money thing, 
and the marketing thing are really two separate things and there's maybe a way to solve the one without the other. Do you see that? And I'm hoping you can see that in your statement that we just did. So that's as far as we're going to go in this training. That wraps up our psychology section. I just have so much to go through in terms of data today, guys. Let's move into that. So coming up next, let me share with you what we've got. There is just so much that happened, so much report, so many reports that happened, good and bad, and I want to kind of have you guys lean into this. So I'm going to bring up the first image here. We're going to talk about U.S. real uh, GDP, and it is right here. Sorry, let me kill this really quick. It's not what I wanted. There we go. All right, there we go. Bring up real GDP really quick. And we're gonna go through like probably, I have like almost eight of these different examples. So let's share this really quick. Uh, let's talk about this real GDP. So US real domestic product uh, actually was above expectation. December, we just got this report and one of the things that came out is we were predicting, so analysts were predicting a 2% gain in uh, 2024's fourth quarter. And it came in at 3.3%. And that report just came in now. Like It doesn't happen like the day of. And so all that data came in. We just got the report last week. And it moved the market. In fact, we're going to talk about this. It led to what I'm calling the market melt-up where money is starting to shift in the market. People who have money on the sidelines are going, like maybe I'm too late. I should have moved money into the stock market. And uh, this is great news. Great news for the market. Great news for the economy. Uh, not the full picture, but it was drastically over what we expected, which is great uh, for the U.S. Now, that may, just so you know, the Fed's predicted pretty low GDP growth into 2024. And this might be an indicator that they're wrong about that also. And we might see some really strong GDP growth uh, into 2024. But I'm going to give you some contrasting beliefs as we look at that. Now, one of the things that is correlated with this, and you just got to see this chart. It's just fascinating to me. The S&P 500 and the Dow just hit an all-time high, guys, like record all-time high. And it was because of this data and some other data that I'm going to show you. But we're talking like uh, 4,940 price on the S&P. If you're trading it and you were in the markets this week, you saw this. A lot of you are going like, what's going on? Well, part of it has to do with GDP. Another part of it has to do with another section of data that I've pulled from. And then we'll get into some of the bumps uh, that I think might happen this year also. But CPI, let's talk about CPI. I won't show you this. But consumer price index rose by 0.3% uh, in December, higher than expected, pushing it to 3.4%. So it was predicted to come in at 3.1%. It got a 0.3% boost. It's like, and eh, that's not like, you know, quaking, uh, major news, but not bad news and a little good, a little overexpected, uh, which also has been kind of pushing the market up. Now, job reports, I've got to show you this chart. Job reports are showing also better than expected data, which a lot of us were not expecting. Uh, this 
is playing into a lot of why you're not going to probably see rate hikes or excuse me, rate drops into 2024's first quarter. Good unemployment typically leads to not dropping rates. And so you can see here that we had January come in. We added 353,000 jobs. It's the most that we've seen since uh, January 2023. And so this is great news for the economy. It was overexpected. We were not expecting this kind of uh, job reports to come in, although I have some data specifically around legacy news and media uh, companies that are laying off like crazy. I want to talk to you about that also because I think there's a play in the market. Gas prices. How many of you guys have gotten fuel in the last week and it's like, oh, this, is, this feels like a breath of fresh air. It feels like gas prices are finally coming back down to normal. Well, they are, and I want to talk to you about what we're seeing in the charts and how this might uh, get better and how barrel prices reflect pretty directly what you're paying at the pump. So you got to check out this chart. This was something that I picked up off Yahoo Finance. Let's see here. And what it shows is the correlation between gas prices, crude oil and gas prices plummeting, where crude oil, I mean, we were at over, what is that, $120 per barrel, like mid-2022, and now we're seeing uh, barrel prices right around $70, which is bringing fuel at the pump at, you know, depending on where you're at in the country, around $3 per gallon. And so we're seeing a lot of relief which has led also to consumer sentiment. Um, to give you an idea also, there was this really cool chart that I saw, and this, this is not so financially related, but I think you guys would benefit just from seeing this really quickly. There was this uh, chart that I saw that kind of breaks down what you're paying for when you go to the pump. And it kind of is frustrating. When I look at this, this chart, Regular gasoline prices, 15%. And like, by the way, a lot of the blue states are way worse. Like California's tax uh, at the pump is like way higher than 15%. But on average, nationally, it's about 15% goes to taxes. 20% goes into distribution marketing. 8% of it goes into refining. And about 57% is the cost of the crude oil. So there's no question that last chart we saw is directly correlated to the price of what you have to pay for uh, at the pump. And I'm a little concerned about this sting where it's at. You know, we're seeing the relief, but one of the things that could radically change the price of oil is some of the conflict happening happening right now in the Middle East that doesn't seem to be resolving. So some of the global pressures that we're seeing currently on crude oil, specifically tied to war territory war, uh, some of the stuff still going on with like taking sides with Hamas and Israel, uh, it definitely could play into higher gas prices. Conflict is never good for oil. Uh, conflict, global conflict, global war is never good for economy. Uh, afterwards, we typically see spikes, but this all could impact crude oil prices. Also, we're seeing with the bump, the tick up, and the economy kind of saying, hey, we're ready to launch. 
demand for oil will likely go up, which may also bring prices up as well. So I'd keep an eye on that. Up next, Goldman Sachs pushes rate cuts to May. I won't show you the article on this, but I saw on Reuters an article that said Goldman Sachs pushes back the Fed rate cut expectations from May or to May from March. And so that's a pretty significant quarter shift. And a lot of it has to do with employment rates going up. So employment, uh, overall employment has gone up and unemployment's gone down. We're starting to see uh, deflationary things like, you know, crude oil. People directly impact how the economy is doing with oil prices actually being low, which is kind of interesting. Uh, But this is not like an actual data-driven statistic. This is a this is Michigan's consumer sentiment, or excuse me, this is a Goldman Sachs analyst saying, based on all the data, this is our guess that the feds will wait until May to drop rates. And frankly, with all the data that I've seen, I don't think we're going to see a March rate cut. The feds are committed to cutting rates. They are calling a soft landing. In fact, uh, Bernanke kind of did this thing where um, or excuse me, federal Jerome Powell did this thing this last week where he said like, we kind of nailed it. We kind of hit our soft landing. And so we, I do expect rate drops this year, but with all the good data and kind of the likelihood that this might push a little bit of inflation, I think it is going to be May. I think Goldman Sachs analysts are correct. Uh, I want to show you this just quick highlights from Michigan's consumer sentiment index. And I'm doing all of this guys to give you a good sense of, from a fundamental standpoint, where the markets are going to go. We'll do technicals after this, but you can kind of get a sense. I'm pretty bullish right now. I'm getting more and more bullish sentiment for 2024, uh, especially on the S&P 500 and the Dow. Now, this these three bullet points, I think, really highlight this report from Michigan. And I want to show you guys this. These are kind of the three... Uh, takeaways that I got from this. But Michigan's Consumer Sentiment Index is a way that we measure how the people are feeling about the economy. And we saw this jump about 13% from the previous month, blowing analyst estimates. Like analysts just didn't think this was going to happen. I was probably halfway in that group. I was kind of 50-50. And the second month sharply improved the sentiment, marking the index best turnaround, by the way, since 1991. This is the best shift in consumer sentiment, what consumers think about the market since 1991. And consumers feel much better about the economy with inflation expectations falling to their lowest level since December of 2020. So three great bullet points that things are turning around and consumers are in the belief that things are going to be getting better. Now, are things actually getting better? Well, Let's talk about that. Tesla came out with a report that I think is really revealing and really great to look at. So now I'm going to give you the contrast. I'm I'm hearing and feeling and getting a fundamental sense that we are heading into a more bullish market. However, here are some of the bumps that I would consider. Tesla just came out with a report that I think is uh, really important to look at. They came out with a demand report for investors And this is something that you guys typically don't see. Let's see if I can find this. I'm going to find this really quick. There we go. And the reason I like bringing data like this in, 
here we go, is this is like the investor level information that most of the world doesn't see. And most of these articles are so boring, people don't like reading them. And we're going to talk about how the legacy media is going bankrupt and frankly losing in this game of like reporting news because frankly, these the data point information that is delivered that's like highly data driven, people aren't psychologically triggered to listen. And so there, there's this old, there's this weight that's going on on how we report, but we'll get to that in just a second. Tesla shares dropped 6% on weak auto revenue, warning of slower growth in 2024. And here were some of the reports that came out. Tesla reported revenue growth of 3% in fourth quarter, trailing estimates. And auto revenue increased just 1% from the earlier year. Vehicle volume growth in 2024 may be notably lower than last year's growth rate. And so what is happening, not just in the auto motive industry, but because of COVID, all the stimulus and, and frankly, uh, rates being higher, we're starting to see the impact of that happening now, where I would call it a buckling down, where companies are starting to see they have to tighten up, they've got to make cuts. And if they're not going to make cuts, uh, they're going to pay the financial repercussions later. So we're kind of seeing this cleaning up time, which is great, by the way, we need recessions for this, we need to have up and downs in the market to clean up kind of the the garbage out there in the market and really see who the fake actors are, right? They, there's this old saying that when the tide goes out, you see whose pants are down. Uh, kind of a funny anal- analogy, but it's the truth. When the tide starts to go out, you start to see these companies that really weren't as financially responsible or didn't maybe have the right product to drive uh, or maybe the, they were over-evaluated. Maybe the consumer sentiment hype around it really wasn't following revenue and the future of its actual product. So we're going to see a lot of that with certain companies this year. Moving into the next segment of not so great news, and I have so many of these to show you. uh, I want to talk to you guys about this legacy. Oh, no, we've got to do this first. Do I want to do that? Yeah, we're going to talk about this. This is really important. So all of this all of this data really has me bullish but not for the right reasons and that's a really interesting thing to say like I want you to it, it, like kind of soak this in for a minute we're in new market territory like we've never seen the market like this ever and we're I'm calling a bullish market 2024 I think will end higher than uh it started uh, again not financial advice this is just you know a guy behind a mic talking, but I would predict personally, based on all my uh, data, that 18 months, 24 months from now, based on all this data and this chart I'm about to show you, that there's just no way the markets aren't going to go up. There's just no way. Although there will be companies that fail and like you know buckle down, we'll see things drop. But let me show you this one data point that largely has my belief going towards like. I just don't see how we're not going to have higher highs in 16, 18, 24 months. I just don't see the possibility of it. And it has to do with money on the sidelines. And a lot of you have probably never considered this. Like how, Matt, how could the markets go up even higher? There's this saying in the market right now that the market is priced to perfection, meaning like these stocks like NVIDIA, uh, Google, Facebook are priced to perfection, meaning 
They're proje- they're priced right now at a future projection of where it should be with no mistakes calculated in, like zero mistakes. And so how does that happen? In a normal market, that's what we call an overvaluation, right? Well, this is how it happens. We printed so much money, so much money during COVID. And when we started raising rates, it incentivized the money market accounts. And here's a chart that shows you what has happened, the difference in money market accounts from 2014 to 2023. It has almost doubled. And the largest increase of it happened from 2020 going forward. Why? Because we started increasing rates. And so what did people do? And maybe even you did it. They started putting their money in these money market accounts. In fact, I, I'm not soliciting this, but one of our local credit unions is doing a six-month uh, CD right now at 5.5%. And so people were taking their money out of maybe what they thought was more risky, locking it into this guaranteed 5.5%, you know, 5.5% return. And like, of course you would do that. Of course, like, especially your average consumer. And so if we go from $3 trillion to six, over $6 trillion, that's $3 trillion sitting on the sideline that's not normally there. Now, why is it there? Rates are high. What will happen over the next 16, 18, 24 months as we stop dropping rates? That six-month uh, money market account, CD, you know, whatever it's in, the same markets, by the way. Uh, but what happens when you take that money out? What happens when your six months expires and the next best thing is 3.5%? It's not 5.5% anymore. You're going to go, well, 3.5%, that's not really great. And the markets have been killing it. FOMO kicks in and people start dumping money into the market. So I think, and I'm predicting bullish because there's going to be this like FOMO that comes out into the market. And this is really fundamental. This is like the psychology of trading kicking in. Not maybe how I feel about things, but how people react to things. And the masses will see the climbs and like they always do, they get in too late. They get in, and by the way, I think that there's some room to go, but they'll get in and they'll keep pushing it even at the all-time highs because they'll be like, oh, I missed out on all these gains and I'm only getting... 3%, 2% Three, 2% now in this money market account. Imagine what will happen when $3 trillion goes back into the stock market. That money's not going to just disappear. Consumers aren't going to be spending it on debt. We just saw GDP growth is up over expected. Let's just say we maintained it. $3 trillion dumps back into the market. You're going to see higher highs. And having said that, where are you going to see them? Well, safe bets always the S&P 500, right? Uh, putting it into a conglomerate of 500 stocks. But really, the magnific- the magnificent seven, as we call them, are the ones driving the S&P 500. Just look it up. The magnificent seven are really the only things performing right now in the S&P 500. And so that's seven out of 500 companies. I mean, there's a, a bunch of other little ones that are having massive growth, down growth. But really, they're making up the bulk of the market, like the most money and market cap that's having the largest gains of those the magnificent seven magnificent seven and if you take that out that's 493 companies that really aren't doing that great and so i think there's going to be a lot of losers in this game there are going to be a lot of traders that are losing and going what are you talking about matt i'm losing my ass over here it's like well okay calm down the market as a whole the s&p 500 whole largely held up by the magnificent seven 
likely will be the place where people dump into. And so I think we're going to see massive gains again in these big seven. And it's going to be mostly like riding the wave. It's going to be mostly like kind of this FOMO type trading that's occurring. Uh, and there's always opportunity there. You just need to be aware of the risk and be ready to pull out when things really start shifting. The sentiment starts shifting pretty hard the other way. All right. So that's my, uh, I'm calling it a melting up of the market analysis. We're, it doesn't sound great, right? It's like, wait, the market's going up, it's bullish. Isn't that supposed to be a good thing? Well, it's kind of melting that way, which may create some long-term problems two to three years from now, but I just don't see it happening anytime sooner than that. Now, there's so many other things I could talk about, like Asia's market. They're doing some stimulus right now to keep up their market. Uh, if they start going into a heavier downfall, it will have global impact, but generally China's market doesn't impact our market that much. Now let's go into this media thing. This media thing's so fun. I'm going to spend five, maybe seven minutes on this, and then we're going to jump in. I'm going to do a gold analysis, an S&P analysis on today's data. Uh, that's one of my fun things that I like to do on here. So let's jump into that. Um, where do I want to go here? There's so much to cover. All right, so I'm calling this our money mishap section, the section where uh, we kind of wonder and make big mistakes when it comes to money. And frankly, the way I would say it is legacy news and media is dying. And here's just some bullet points before I bring up some articles to show you guys. The media industry uh, was beset by a series of layoffs impacting a number of sectors in 2023. Early this month, Challenger, Gray and Christmas, uh, an ausplatement firm that tracks employment figures said, over 20,000 media jobs have been eliminated just this year, and this is the largest number of cuts in employment since 2020 when COVID-COVID was raging, and over 30,000 workers were laid off during that time. So we are having a massive layoff with uh, media companies right now, legacy news also included in that. And let me just share with you what's going on, uh, on there. So Business Insider if you guys know who that is or you watch or sometimes see their stuff pop up, they're laying off around 8% of its workforce. Over 500 journalists were just laid off in January 2024 alone from the Los Angeles Times. The billionaire who owns the Los Angeles Times also said that he has lost over a billion dollars in the last year investing in trying to keep the LA Times up. Um, Let's see who Condone Nast is cutting 5%. Sports Illustrated is basically done, guys. The old Sports Illustrated where we used to get our news about the sports is pretty much toast. You could say that they are probably going to be a brand that dies. Uh, Vox cuts another 4%. Jezebel is just shutting down. Uh, Vice Media went bankrupt. And here is where I want to talk about the why, and then we're going to go into our trading segment. So... Why is this happening? What is happening to these legacy and traditional media outlets, even some that are new that are digital? What is happening that's causing this massive fallout? Uh, amidst the union protests, which are like uh, n completely non-effective right now because there's just there's no money to give union workers more. They're just going to keep laying off more. There's no room for unions to come in right now and be asking for more. It's just it's ridiculous what's going on there. But anyways, that's happening. Um, but here's here's what you need to hear. Here's here's my thoughts on like what's going on here. So the news for so long as you watched 
because of the mass amount of information being produced was and and the cost to produce an article you know let's say with a journalist cost the cost of production the cost of like you know editors and then like keeping up and pushing out ads to maybe you know have things be front and center let's just say like you know it costs like a thousand dollars per post to come out well to pay for just the journalist alone you know how many viewers do you have to have to like keep this up how many like people need to watch and click well if it's subscription based you're gonna have a certain uh way to break even that way but if it's based on ads which ads have been just funneling away from news and going in directly to the outlets like directly to amazon directly to social media google uh facebook instagram being part of the facebook family and uh tiktok we're just seeing that people want to advertise directly where they can click onto the product where the, these news sideline ads just really aren't the trick anymore. They're really not doing it anymore. So you have that decrease in ad revenue, but also even the subscription model is kind of really hard to compete with. And so news was kind of forced in between a rough and a hard place. Let me share what I think happened. They were forced to lie. And a lot of us saw that because the titles, in, instead of giving real data, like like podcasts like this, instead of delivering real content, which I get it. Sometimes it's snooze. You know, sometimes it's like you, the eyes start glazing over a little bit because we're not triggered. We're not sharing maybe triggering information or a story or a provocative way of saying the information. Well, news started to have to do that. They would use any type of provocative angle to get clicks to make sure that they could monetize what they're ha having to do. And it got so bad that they frankly just started lying. They frankly just started making stuff up. And then the distrust and the media began. And this began probably in 2018, where we started hearing things like fake news. And it took the population a while to get used to this, to the point that we just got tired of it. We got tired of fake news and we started leaning towards things like this, like going to actual people who are in the industry, providing data specific around the thing that they were good at, rather than journalists who have no freaking idea what's going on in that industry, trying to give uh, an accurate account. Well, actually not an accurate account, a really great story that was highly clickable and thought-provoking and maybe even triggering so that it kept your attention. Well, the attention war that they were using to win is now kind of backfired and people, frankly, are going to the experts. Rather than reading Sports Illustrated, they're going to someone who actually played sports and is giving the highlight from their angle. And we're seeing this new distribution of news and data uh, distribution where, and I'm so grateful for it, and I hope it goes more this way, where fake news just isn't valued anymore. And hyper, like hyped up negative news isn't sought after. In fact, when we feel it and we see it now, we might get triggered a little bit, but we've just seen it so much now that we kind of go, I'm just not even interested unless someone's providing a two-sided approach. And so I like to do that here at the Market Pulse podcast where I'm giving you both the good and the ugly and then my personal opinion. And sometimes I'll have a side, right? I might be pushing a side. It might be a little provocative. However, I'm someone who's trading. I'm not a journalist who's interviewing me, trying to understand what I do, and then throw a crazy angle on it so that you read through the article or watch the video. 
And I, I hope, I'm very optimistic that this is the way that it's going. But because mm-hmm. of that, I think that the way media is being done on the internet, definitely paper media, like newspaper is just going away. But even a lot of the way we were doing this kind of provocative media online, I think will also disappear from this. So the death of media is what we'll call this. And so if you have any stocks in media companies like this, you might highly consider uh, the repercussions of that. Are there opportunities to make money? Absolutely. There's a lot of publicly traded media companies that frankly shorting uh, and they might be expensive to buy, but shorting may be a great opportunity if you can find some that are on the verge or have reports where revenue is not as great as they, uh, you thought they would be. All right, we got to jump right into this now. I'm going into our trade review, one of my favorite segments of our podcast. Let's pull this up. And we're going to bring in the charts. So I'm bringing in um, our charts on green chart. This is the S&P 500. As you can see, oh my gosh, guys, as we speak, we are hitting all-time highs on the S&P 500 today. 49.52 is the price. It is literally touching all-time highs as we're talking. And so this is a great opportunity to get in, start doing a technical analysis on this. You already know, fundamentally, I'm thinking bullish. Obviously, other analysts are thinking the same thing. Let's get an idea of what next week could look like uh, going into strongly the first two days and then kind of some uh, standards around that afterwards. Because we're in all-time new high territory, the only price I'm interested is our last all-time high. So I'm going to let this load for a second. We're going to find the last all-time high. We're going to draw in a line, which I think it's already there. It looks like it. I'm going to change the color on this because we broke this last week. Okay, let's edit that, turn it green. And I think we're going to be good on this. So you guys can copy my colors on this if you'd like. I'd be happy to have you guys do that. There we go. And so 48.12 is about, and I'm taking it off of last week's high also, but 48.12 is kind of the high. This is going to act as support for the rest of the week. Let's get our channel in. We're going to take the bottom. Ooh, yep, we're going to take this new bottom. There's kind of two happening here. This one's angling out. Nope, I don't like that. We're going to use the top of this to draw this one. There we go. So there's our channel going into today. I changed, this is a very different way of doing this. Sometimes you have to use the tops rather than the bottoms. Especially, I find that it happens a lot when you're climbing into new territory or have new highs. But this is a great channel uh, going into next week. Now, because we have no other resistance above us, just know that rounded numbers are typically it. So I'm going to draw a line at 5,000 price. That's going to act as our resistance or ceiling. Just makes sense. We've got about 50 points to 5,000 from the current price. Our support is at 48.12. This is a pretty big gap, guys. And there's going to be some light support. It looks like sitting at about 48.76. So where do I think the price is going to go? It's going to want to live here, guys. This is going to be great scalping, great buy when it hits the bottom, 
sell when it hits the top. And just to give you my sentiment around this, I would love to see the price retract down into this layer down here so that I could keep buying. Why? Because we have, we're kind of fundamentally bullish right now. We're technically bullish. What's the old rule? Trade the trend and uh, trend is your friend. And so bullish is the way I'm looking. Now, if it starts to crawl down into this area, more bullish, especially as this channel continues, is gonna be kind of my direction. But I mean, this is it. It's gonna wanna live. The price is gonna wanna live in this area. And will it test 5,000? Probably. Could it break it? Uh, yes. Could it break it next week? Hmm, looking at the size of the vault, of like the volatility of the market, it's possible. We could possibly break 5,000. I'm gonna put a little circle up there just to signify that. I think it's very unlikely, but we're gonna do it just so that we set it. And there's our S&P 500 review. So bullish, little bearish if it comes down into this area, but just remember every day that goes by, this pressure from the channel is gonna keep pushing this price up. So day two, it's gonna start here. It's gonna have less room to go down. Day three, it's gonna be here. It's gonna have less room to go down. Let's jump in. I'm going to save this. Let's jump into gold, one of my favorite things to trade. Because of the markets climbing and because of consumer sentiment, what happens to gold prices? That's right. Fundamentally, it's kind of opposite. So this might be a good time to start getting back into gold if you're wanting to physically own it and hold it long term. And the reason for that is because the sentiment of the market is driving gold prices down. People like to buy gold when things are bad. And so why are we seeing gold prices starting to drop and not hitting new highs as the S&P 500 climbs? It's because people are going, eh, maybe I don't need my gold right now. Maybe things aren't that bad. Maybe the economy isn't that bad. And so people start to shift. Regardless, fundamentally, I'm kind of, I still have a bullish mindset on gold because of inflation, just long term. Uh, I think that there's going to be some changes in the market, especially as that money on the sidelines comes out. You might see people invest in physical gold. Uh, and just demand for gold hasn't gone down with all these uh, cards that we're building, all the, this, the processing that we're doing that involves gold in the production. So I'm like sideways, light bullish, fundamentally on, on gold. Technically, let's see what's going on. So technicals, support and resistance look about the same. Oh. What happened? Bring that back. We're in this channel that I'm not in love with. Oh yeah, that's not bad. We've got a bullish channel. We're kind of sitting between these prices. I don't know where this 2050 we can get rid of now. It's played on that enough. Just looking for any other support that we may hit. There's some light support that I'm seeing right here. Let me change these colors. And so, hmm, I like the bullish move. Remember how we were talking about like being in an up channel but on the downside? I actually do like this towards a bull move. This is where I would be living in terms of the price. Let me change the colors really quick. Let me show the emphasis. I'm seeing bullish, but probably a bounce. Uh, gold likes to fundamental. Gold is very technical. 
gold loves following the technicals. And so there's a lot of technical price action happening here. This needs to be thinner. Let's do this at a one. This needs to be thicker. 2000 price is a huge, there's just huge support at 2000. Just changing this to a three so you can see it better. Okay. So definitely here, it's likely, nah, it's not likely. It's possible that we see a breakout towards the downside, but I would say less likely than not. And then I'm gonna do the same thing here. I'm gonna say it's more likely to stay in this channel and create some pressure. So it's more likely to be up in here. If it breaks, it's gonna to wanna to live down here, but I'm gonna color this as a two so you know that this is more, nope, not that one. This is more likely to go up and stay in this region than it is to not. And that's just the technicals right now. Right now, the price has dropped today, but looking at this, this would be not a bad buy. Set your stop loss just outside of the channel. So set your stops down in here, write it, set your targets up into this area, right? Back where it's been, where the price action has been before. And the nice thing about this is when you're in a channel like this, if you get your stop out here, you can move your stop loss up every single day. So as this channel moves up, move it up, you know, maybe from, it might be 2025 and then you'll move your stop loss up the next day to like 2030, so about $5. And so about every day that this goes up and a day goes on, you can move your stop loss up about $5 uh, per day if you're in the money on the trade and have less risk. Uh, don't set your target outside of the channel. Definitely don't set your target outside of t uh, the 2076 uh, level. This is pretty simple, guys. I think that's going to wrap up our gold. Just let's do one more review. I'm going to pull up my S&P 500. So just as a real quick recap on the S&P 500, our technical analysis has us generally in an uptrend sideways within the 5,048.76 level. Our gold technical analysis has us living light bullish, definitely sideways. It's going to want to stay inside this channel for the probably Monday, Tuesday. So based on where the price is, I like more of a buy now on gold than I did on the S&P 500. And it's more likely it's gonna start inching up towards this area as long as the fundamentals don't change rather than breaking down into uh, the channel. But but if it does break, be ready for it to run down to 2015. So there's a trade there. If this does break this channel, it is very likely it's gonna run down to 2015. And then there's a secondary possibility it runs to uh, 2,000. So you got to know how to trade these breaks. All right, guys. Well, that wraps up, and perfect timing, by the way, but that wraps up our full fundamental technical analysis on the Market Pulse podcast. My pleasure, Matthew Pohl, to be on here with you guys today. And uh, we will see you same time, same place next week. And next week, we're actually going to be doing our uh, Friday real estate forecast. So looking forward to giving you... A, uh, some updates on the change. There's actually some major changes happening for the better and maybe for the worse in different segments of the real estate market. So we'll see you uh, next week with that data. Thanks so much, guys.